0: friends, Greg Kokel here and uh, back in the saddle again. Been gone for a long time, it seems like, four weeks. And I, I don't know who sat in for me while I was gone. Jay Warner Wallace, I think, was here and um, some others for my team. Uh, that's how far removed I was, at least from this aspect of my work. So I was kind of on vacation. And you're thinking, man, that guy gets four weeks of vacation. No, I work six hours a day. That was my average uh, on projects for Stand to Reason or on the book that I've been writing for Zondervan, a follow-up to the tactics book titled Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Now, that's my working title, and I hope— Zondervan is happy with it because that whole concept of on the street, which basically is where you're uncomfortable, you know, you feel vulnerable, and most Christians feel vulnerable, I think, when they engage a hostile person uh, regarding their convictions, and it may not necessarily be physically, emotionally, verbally hostile, but certainly with regards to their ideas, and sometimes it is verbally hostile. So in any event, uh, I was spending a lot of time just working on the manuscript, which is quite a bit overdue and just had a pound away. So my basic take on that was I don't vacation. I just work at a different location. (laughs) Uh, In this case, it was our place in northern Wisconsin. And many of you know about that because I talk about it a bit. And I did not post on Facebook anything from the last few weeks being up there. I didn't catch any big fish. I caught two fish. I went out three times for two hours each in four weeks. Okay, so that wasn't the priority this time. I did fix some things. And uh, we got to took out an old brick facade behind where the wood stove was, and we had installed a new rock one, not the faux rock that a lot of people have, the manufacturer. This was real rock, except for it was kind of cut in half, so it wasn't quite so heavy, but it looks fabulous on our wall behind a brand new wood stove. So I guess I could have sent some pictures of that and put it on Facebook, but i have it's been so long since I've done that, I almost forgot how to do it. So uh, my apologies for those who have been following on Facebook and haven't seen much up there, okay? And uh, I also used to have pictures of my kids doing stuff in northern Wisconsin on our vacation, splashing in the water, catching bluegills or whatever, but they're not kids anymore. They're teenagers, and that's just not what—at least my teenagers are that— interested in anymore. So big changes there, and I'm just still getting used to that. Uh, but that's where I have been, and my thanks to those who have filled in for me. And um, I am going back because I have to keep writing, so I'll be around home for a couple of weeks. But I'll be broadcasting from up there, picking up the, the shows uh, on a regular basis and some of the interviews I have, and I'll just be doing that um, from Wisconsin. So I will be here for you As I am now, my phone number, 855-243-9975. If you're listening live by live stream, uh, that's the number to call. Or if you want to call in next time around, I'm here Tuesdays from 4 until 6. And uh, that's the number, 855-243-9975. By the way, that 4 until 6 would be Pacific time. Uh, the Los Angeles time, even though when I'm in Wisconsin, I'm, I'm two hours later there. Nevertheless, we still have the same time slot, and you can call in and chat with me about whatever you want in the areas of ethics, uh, values, and religion. Um, just a quick uh, update on—I uh, keep wanting to say rethink, but it's now reality. For a couple of years, it's been reality, and our first reality in the next season is coming up Actually, well, it's only 10 weeks out, but we already have almost 200 people signed up for it. And that would be, of course, in Southern California at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And the dates for that are, if I can find them here, I think it's the last weekend of September. How could I not have the dates here? Call it the last weekend of September, all right. Um, Yeah, it's not here on my announcement sheet. Uh, I'll have to get all those details squared away because we're just starting our season now, and uh, if you want to go to realityapologetics.com, you have all the skinny there. Just letting you know that the early bird registration is up until July ninth, So that's where you get a big break in the price, and then it starts moving up after that. So um, there you have it. realityapologetics.com, Southern Cal, early bird until July 29th. And the date of the event is the last weekend of September, whatever date that is. I don't have it in front of me. Now, since I've been gone, of course, a lot has been going on, and especially for SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States of America, who made one announcement that wasn't a surprise because of a leak of uh, Justice Alito's opinion that came out in June, or maybe it was May or might even been April. It was early, and it shouldn't have gone out. I talked about this before, already here on the air, about how I was encouraged by what it appeared the decision of the court would be regarding Roe and uh, and also Casey, which is associated with Roe. And But I was uh, very upset about the manner in which we found this out, because it undermines um, essentially the rule of law, which is something I want to talk about for a moment, because it is the rule of law that protects us it protects all of us left or right liberal leftist or conservative it protects everybody therefore everybody ought to be concerned about the rule of law but it turns out everybody's not concerned about the rule of law what we see more and more in our culture is a, an interest is is the principal interest in what is personal interest All right, what an individual wants for themselves rather than what the individual is convinced is good and right and true. I wrote a couple of years ago my solid grounds from 2020, talking about the problem of creeping totalitarianism in our country. And uh, in one issue, I made the point that in any culture, one of two things is going to be preeminent. It's going to rule. It's going to, in a certain sense, call the shots. It's either going to be truth or power. Either truth or power. In other words, the culture is going to be committed to doing what is right or what what comports with what is sound, and accurate, and factual. Or it's going to be committed to doing whatever it wants. And the only way to accomplish that is if you have the power. You remember the old phrase, speaking truth to power. The presumption was there is a truth, and the powers at B are not acknowledging the truth, And speaking truth to power is a way of appealing to raw um, exercises of force and adjuring them to use their force and power for the good, for that which is good and right and true. Now, what happens, though, when as a culture, more and more people decide that there is no truth or no truth that matters. Well, then all that's left is power, and therefore, what is good and right and true is not going to govern the use of the power that we have. Rather, self-interest is going to, um, is going to uh, govern the use of that. And this, I think, we've seen in spades since the official Scotus decision came out. That reversed Roe versus Wade and threw the whole question of abortion back to the states. Now, just to help maybe organize your thinking about this, and I've probably spoken about both of these aspects at different times, but I want to bring them together for a moment. There are actually two issues going on with regards to SCOTUS and abortion. One is a legal question, the other one is a moral question. So those are your two categories. One is a legal question, the other one is a moral question. The Supreme Court did not address the moral question. The moral question is always important, such that sometimes there are laws that give people liberties to do something that's wrong. Well, the the law may be clear in what it allows, but it's fair then to raise the question of whether the law is right, whether it's sound, whether it reflects something good and morally appropriate. I mean, we, when we had uh, Jim Crow laws, there was de facto racism, or in many cases, segregation, that were that was legal, but it wasn't right. Okay. And um, in fact, there was a, a Supreme Court decision about a doctrine called separate but equal, that blacks could be kept separate as long as they were treated equally. There could be segregation as long as when they were segregated, they were still getting the same kind of stuff that everybody else was getting. It was an attempt to leverage the 14th Amendment in favor of segregation. It's called separate but equal. And then eventually a... Uh, I think that was Plessy versus Ferguson, and then Brown versus Board of Educa- Education came along. Hope I didn't get those reversed, but I think Brown came along, and the Supreme Court said, "No, this is not right." And so there was a reversal of a policy in light of the Constitution. Separate but equal wasn't constitutionally sound, is what the uh, the justices ruled there. And this was then a blow to the practice of segregation. Notice what was happening, though. The justices weren't saying segregation was wrong. They weren't saying that racism was wrong. They were not weighing in on the moral question. They were weighing in on the legal question, which narrowly construed had to do with the the rights and protections that the Constitution provided natively, that is, within the Constitution as it stood, as it was attended. Was this, in fact, a proper um, exercise of equal protection under the law? It was not, the court decided, and therefore overturned Plessy in favor of Brown, but notice what was going on there. They were doing law; they were not doing morality. Well, where does morality come in? Morality comes in at a different, in a different branch of government. Morality comes in at the at the uh, elected official level. They get to decide what morals are uh, uh are, 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 are are expressed in law or what immoral things become legally actionable. Obviously not every immoral thing is illegal. It's not illegal to lie except in very precise circumstances where you perjure yourself under oath. okay, And so that becomes actionable. So but it's the legislators that make those decisions, about what's good and bad it is the justices that make the decisions of what legislation comport or practices comport with established law specifically in this case with scotus the United States Constitution that's what the Supreme Court is responsible to adjudicate now that's what happened early June can't remember the date, right when I, it was right around my birthday, I think, June 10. That's what happened. The Supreme Court said there has been a mistake, and the mistake was finding a right to take the life of unworn children based on essentially the 14th Amendment equal protection under the law. They said this is just really bad, a really bad judicial decision. And incidentally, they want the, the the conservatives. I'll qualify that word in a minute. Were not alone in that. There were there are many others who have said, you know what? Even though I'm pro-abortion, I don't think the Constitution protects it. <laughs> Even with 14th Amendment argument, privacy arguments, whatever. It's not protected. If I were pro-choice, friends, and uh, I would not be in favor of Roe. And the reason is, is because the Constitution is supposed to protect everybody. And when you have activist judges finding rights in the Constitution that are not there but are in the imagination of the justices and then in, a, in an activist way um, make decisions that create those rights, they have abused the thing that protects us all. Now, in that particular case, if I was pro-choice, Roe v. Wade gave me something I believed in, but it did it in an illicit way. And when the when the powers at be shift and the mentality continues to be unelected people can establish de facto laws by the way they rule in the Constitution, laws or liberties or rights that were not justifiably in the Constitution to begin with. They have then adopted a, a principle that can turn against me when the powers at be shift when the activists are not leftist or liberal, but the activists are right-wing activists. And frankly, even if I was pro-choice, like I said, I wouldn't want the protective document like the Constitution to be abused in that fashion. Because when it shifts, then it's my ox being gored. And I don't want my ox gored. I want the rights of all people to be protected the way they were meant to be protected, given the initial documents. This is why, by the way, it is very difficult to amend the Constitution. It's been done quite a number of times, but it's not easy. Unless you have five people in black gowns who decide they want to insert something there that essentially is not really there. Well, then you've got an amended Constitution. That is not what protects us. It's not what helps us. Now, excuse me. As a as a side note, let me just say, I I mentioned I was going to say something about conservative versus liberal. I want conservative justices, but I am not speaking politically here when I say that. I am speaking judicially. I want justices that respect the that do what they pledge to do and every single person in office as far as I can tell pledges to do and that is to preserve and to protect the constitution of the United States that is some particular thing it's not any old thing in in the minds of any old justice at any old time whatever as one person puts it or put it, the Constitution means whatever a justice says it means. Well, if that's the case, then it doesn't protect anybody. Well, don't you think the Constitution is alive, the living Constitution? In that doc, I think it's alive with the original intent. That's the life of the Constitution. That's where the protection is. But on the living Constitution view, the only thing that's alive is the imagination of the jurists, And this protects no one. It does help those who the jurists um, adjudicate in favor of. It helps them, but it doesn't protect them. Because there's no principle, no law that is doing the protecting. The only thing that does the protecting in that moment is an opinion of a jurist. Not the document itself. So for me, when I say I want conservatives, I'm not saying I want those who are politically right-wing to come in and be activist judges on behalf of my political views, which happen to be conservative. No, I want justices that will be conservative in their understanding of the Constitution, that is constitutional conservatives, and they allow the document to protect All of us, left or right, liberal or conservative, and what's curious to me, and and these decisions are not are are coming close to each other. We, of course, Roe versus Wade was forty-eight years ago, but Obergefell was twenty-fifteen, where the Supreme Court declared that there is a constitutional right under the Fourteenth Amendment for same-sex couples to be recognized as married the same way that heterosexual couples are recognized. Now, that's another one of those rights that's discovered in the Constitution that never occurred to anybody for the last 200 and some years until culture changed and activist judges found a new right. But what's interesting to me is that when that happened in 2015, well, the Supreme Court was was working just fine to uh, most people on the left, I should say, in particular, when the leftist activist judges legislated from the bench to find rights that were not in the Constitution. Early on, the right to abortion, more recently, the right for same-sex couples to have the government, <clears throat> excuse me, government, legally recognize their unions as exactly the same as heterosexual unions. I mean, the fact is, they have the right already to live however they wanted. They could walk down the aisle, pledge their troth until death do them part, set up housekeeping, have sex together, share belongings, all the kinds of things that that heterosexual married couples do. But what they didn't have is a license. And what the license amounted to was the culture, the government, the people saying, you're just the same as And we made the case even starting 20 years ago. They're not the same. They're not the same in a lot of different ways, but especially with regards to the cultural concerns. All right. I won't get into all those arguments now, but the point I'm making is when the Supreme Court aided and abetted the left's peculiar interests, they were really happy with that. However, when the Supreme Court acted to restore the integrity of the Constitution, in my view, by reversing one of those decisions, well, then the Supreme Court is illicit, it's corrupt, it's political, it's a pawn of right-wingers, etc., 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 ought to be disbanded. And, of course, you've seen the hue and cry from the left everywhere. And then there's vandalism, and then burns, buildings are being burned, and streets are being blocked up, and all kinds of totalitarian efforts that never happened in 2015, when conservatives' ideas did not get the nod from the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is wonderful until it goes against the interests of the left. And by the way, in this particular case, it's so clear that it wasn't. An animus against abortion that drove these justices. Read the decision. It was a decision based on the legitimacy legally of Roe versus Wade in, and Casey in light of the Constitution. So I've, I've mentioned that there are two issues here with regards to abortion. And one is the legal question, which is the one that was decided on. Not the moral question. It might turn out that the legal question favored Roe that would still raise the question of whether the law permitted something that was moral or not. Another issue. But just on the legal question, the court simply decided there is no right right to abortion in the Constitution. They didn't make abortion illegal. And I think it was Ann Coulter wrote a piece that said, you would think, given the response by so many people, by what the Supreme Court decided regarding Roe, that they had just dictated that every woman of childbearing age must get pregnant and must carry to term. I mean, considering the hue and cry. No, nothing was made illegal. They just acknowledge there is no constitutional right to kill your unborn child. No, duh. And the decision then as to whether it will be legal to do that needs to go to the elected officials of individual states. Incidentally, it strikes me as odd when there are governors of states that look like they are going to pass laws or maybe have laws in place that just kicked in to, illeg- uh, to to make abortion illegal in their state in a way that is veto-proof, and the governor doesn't like that, for the governor to say, well, we're not going to enforce that law. Wait a minute. Doesn't the governor commit himself To follow the law, isn't that part of the pledge that he makes to the people? That as a lawmaker of some sort, he then respects the rule of law? And then when it doesn't go in his direction, he said, okay, well, we're not going to enforce it. You know, uh, I'm not going to do what the people say. I am going to do what I want. Okay? Okay. Now, how can he do that? Because he's governor. He can choose not to enforce if he wants to. Therefore, power overrules truth. Truth being the rule of law, duly and appropriately established by elected authorities. Can't veto it, that would be one way to get rid of it. But if you can't veto it, then you just say, okay, I won't enforce it. It's just a de facto veto, isn't it? By an illicit use of his power lots of strange things going on here. Maybe I'll talk later about the moral question of abortion. I have some callers on board. I want to get to them. And I've given you some things to think about. Incidentally, this idea of the living Constitution, that it means whatever a justice says it means, and that's it, this is the same problem that people bring to the Bible. Well, the Bible is all based on my own interpretation. Well, in one sense, it's true. Everyone has to interpret the Bible, just like justices have to interpret the Constitution. But that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all, that there are no guidelines, there are no standards. But if we take that mentality to the Bible, then the Bible is no longer the standard, just like when that happens with the Constitution, the Constitution is no longer the standard. Rather, it's the individual whatever they think it says and he, and here and, and again i i there is a legitimate question of assessment <clears throat> but the assessment ought to be made based on what a person actually thinks the author intended when the text was written and that's the authority not whatever it is that the text means to me in this fleeting moment because then the text is no longer the authority, but rather our feelings are the authority, and the Bible, like the Constitution when it happens there, disappears as an authority. You might call it a crisis of authority. It's a crisis because if there isn't authorities outside of us to govern our behavior, then there is no rule of law that protects all of us. There are just individual desires that we seek to pursue, and accomplished through an exercise of raw power to get our way and what in the four or five weeks since SCOTUS has come through with their decision about Roe this is exactly what we've seen from the left and you can listen to the discussions you can read the articles 98% of it ignores the legal rationale that was carefully laid out in the what 70 pages or whatever that was in Alito's decision, which most with the majority concurred with and also wrote other concurrences. Um, no, what you hear instead is they took something away from me that I want. They took something away from me that I want. Me, 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 me. By the way, separate, the the moral question, we're not even talking about that now. We're just talking about the legal issue. What's the anger? They took from me what I want. How dare them? Anyway, something to think about. Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason. Let's take a break. Hey friends, would you like to be encouraged throughout your week with timely, relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up-to-date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media
1: platforms at the bottom of the homepage. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available both in person and online, just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics from bioethics, gender issues and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, Our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today.
0: My friends uh just to bring you up to date on a couple of things tomorrow Uh, S-T-R-U, Standard Reason University, is going to release two new courses. So that's July 13th. Uh, Tim Barnett is teaching a course on the deity of Christ. John Noyce is exploring how Christians can pursue true justice. So we've got deity of Christ and justice, two new courses coming out July 13th. Now, I got another note here. It says tomorrow, Wednesday, July 23rd, but that tomorrow is inaccurate, right? But it is July 23rd, right? John Noyce. John Noyce uh, with uh, Live for To the Point. Is that tomorrow, Wednesday? It is tomorrow. Okay. So both of these things are tomorrow, uh, the this 13th. Uh, John Noyce will be on To the Point on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube from 12 p.m. PST. He just came back from a long stint somewhere in the Midwest. I think he just got off a plane this morning, and he's sleeping at the moment. But he'll be with you guys tomorrow talking about I'm not sure what But on to the point, he's really rocking lately. He's doing a great job. Uh, Amy Hall will be doing a live Q&A on our Facebook page on Wednesday, July 20th. Amy, my co-host, or uh, actually I'm her... She's the host. I'm the co-host uh, for STRS because she runs the show, and I'm along for the ride. She asks the questions. Uh, so she's going to be doing a live Q&A on the 20th at 1 p.m. on Facebook. Okay, got some more things coming up. We'll tell you about them later. I want to get to Maria in Arizona. Maria, you've been so patient waiting for me. Thank you so much. Hi.
2: Hi. It's it's Marla.
0: Oh, it's Marla. And- Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Okay, my bad.
2: That's fine. I just heads up. I have a breathing problem. I'll speak up as loudly as I can. Okay. My question... My
0: I'm sorry, go ahead. Tr- Marla? You still there? Hello?
2: Hi, I'm here.
0: Okay, good. Go ahead, Marla. What's on your mind?
2: I'm struggling with how to trust God in the middle of a life-altering breathing problem.
0: Oh, okay.
2: It's also threatening my ability to provide for myself. It's... So I'm scared.
0: Okay. So I'm sorry to hear that. First of all, um, and I can tell you're distressed. So how can how do you think I can help?
2: I, I keep losing you.
0: Know. Sorry.
2: Oh, sorry i I lost you for a second. Oh, yeah,
0: there does seem to be a breakup here a little bit. So, yeah. um. I, uh, are you just struggling as a Christian because uh, you're facing some really hard times based on physical challenges? Is that it?
2: Yes, I'm. I'm struggling with trusting God to take care of this when I uh-huh. need to. I need to work, but I can't like this. <laughs>
0: So you're trust you're struggling with trusting God to take care of you like driving to work is that what you said?
2: Uh no. Um I I can't work with this breathing uh-huh, problem. Uh-huh. Right, right. I'm struggling with how to trust him. So I you... me.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I can tell you're already out of breath. Um do, do you have a family?
2: I I do I live
0: alone. Oh, you live alone. Right. So So the question is how huh, the question you have is not sure what. I mean, it seems like you're you're struggling with your own confidence and conviction about God's ability to take care of you, is that right? Yes.
2: How yes. do I trust him? that this is going to be okay, and I'm not going to lose everything because I can't breathe well enough to work.
0: Well, uh, this is a challenging issue for me, um, partly because, maybe I'm the right person to ask about this, because I think about my own life And there's a lot of things in my own life, and I'm not going to go into details with it. They're not necessarily physical, though. I've had some concerns. I had a couple of surgeries the last couple of years, but fortunately, I've been able to rise above the limitations so far. But but a big part of my own challenge with God is trying—and in fact, I was praying about this this morning on the way in—is being content— in the midst of a circumstance that is much different from what I want. Again, not going into details, of the details of your circumstance are obvious because they're physical suffering and trial. And, um, and and plus, what is it what does it look like for God to care for me in that circumstance? Now, unlike some people, their theology. Uh, it is not my view that the Bible teaches that God is going to rescue every one of us from the temporal circumstances that are trying for us. And in right. fact, it's quite different. And I, I, um, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to what you're experiencing, um, because there are things that we find are true in our lives that we would like to be different. But it turns out that the Christians historically have been challenged by, and even Christians in the Bible. Now, Paul um, left—I'm trying to think of what his name was—one of his disciples in Miletus because that disciple was sick. Now, you think, wait a minute. Paul's the guy who heals people, right? Well, he didn't have carte blanche, apparently, to heal whoever whenever he wanted. Uh, Sometimes there was healing that took place, and uh, sometimes there wasn't. And the idea there is that in God's wisdom, which I frankly don't understand much of the time, it was God determined it was better to let the circumstances continue to be difficult for, uh, for Paul's disciple, and in many cases for Paul, and not change them. You know, Paul famously has this thorn in the flesh, which some people think is a physical ailment. I actually thought it's a person. I think it's a person, but never nevertheless, it's something vexing for Paul that is really really hard. So hard that he's asking God over and over for relief. And God says no. And the yeah. reason he says no is because he is going to accomplish something else in the midst of that. He is going to he is going to be powerful through the weakness that Paul is experiencing by this fixing problem. Now You know, pastors wax eloquent about this particular passage. It is not my favorite. (laughs) And I don't have, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed eloquence for this lesson. The fact simply is that we are sometimes left by God's choice in the midst of our hardship for a greater purpose that he knows of that we do not know of, now I'm not suffering physically like you are, okay, uh, Marla. However, uh, you know I've got I've got my own crosses to bear. let me just put it that way. And in some cases, they're crosses I have prayed about for years and years and years with no relief and and my conviction is what I have to remind myself of. And so this is part of the process here. Reminding ourselves in the midst of the affliction that God is still there with us and he is allowing it for a purpose, but the affliction will not go on forever. And the reason it won't go on forever, this may or may not be encouraging to you, is that our life on this earth will not go on forever and so our lifer on this on this earth is going to be beset by a host of different challenges some of them physical some of them emotional some of them financial relational but they're you know um, i think it's in job it talks about a uh, a man's life is full of troubles, as like as the sparks fly upward. You know. Right. Like, so here's yeah. what I take my encouragement in. I I think often about Second Corinthians chapter four. I mean, Marla, I wish I could tell you. Well, here's what God's doing in your life, and this is why up until now you haven't been relieved of this distress. But the, he he will relieve you of this stress. Hang in. Hang in there. I can't tell you that because I don't know why, and I don't know if he will relieve you in this life. But I do know what Paul says about distresses in this life, and he describes them in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as momentary light afflictions. Now, we think, well, wait a minute, this doesn't seem momentary. It's like going on for years, and it doesn't seem light because it's either physically or emotionally really, really hard for me. But remember, Paul was talking about life's afflictions when a little later in the same book, he talks about being undergoing 39 lashes four times, being beaten with rods three times, being shipwrecked twice being stoned. That means piled stones piled on him and left for dead once. So when you look at that, well, I don't know about you, but this is a whole lot more than I've ever ex- experienced in terms of afflictions, but he can still talk about these things being momentary in light by comparison to something else, something that is coming. And in fact, it is the afflictions that Paul says are producing for us, this thing that is coming. Now, this is in 2 Corinthians 4, verses uh, 16 through 18. But what Paul says is, "...the momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison." He says, so we don't look at the things that are seen, we look at the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I have no promise that in my particular circumstances, I'm going to be rescued from the things vexing me for many years and are really painful for me. I have no guarantee from God. The guarantee I have is that God is going to use these things to build for me something in the future that is far better than anything I could possibly imagine. And in fact, in Romans 8, Paul says that uh, that I do not count the sufferings of this present age. And remember, his sufferings are manifold. I do not right. count them as anything to be compared with the glory that is to follow. So here's, a, here's like a, a metaphor or, or an a illustration of way to look at it. No, so I did weightlifting for many years. You know, I'd work out whatever. I didn't like running. I didn't like weightlifting. I didn't like going to failure. This is all hard stuff. But I went through the hard stuff willingly because I knew something greater would accrue to me as a result. So I paid the price. To get something better, to put it simply. Now, this is an earthly illustration, but um, the same dynamic, I think, applies in our spiritual lives, that, that there are things that we endure that we don't like, that's painful, that's more than inconvenient, that's terrible for us. Nevertheless, the equation stays the same, that these are things in the Lord that are producing for us something else that is so much greater that when that happens, when we reap the benefit of it, the treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves break in and steal, we will see that the benefit is so much beyond what it cost us. The return is fabulous. In the moment, it doesn't feel that way. But this yeah. is, I'm just telling you, Marla, this is where I go mentally, scripturally, to encourage myself in the Lord in the midst of circumstances like this. All right. This too shall pass. Now, it may be that it passes at the end of your life and mine at the yeah. end of my life, but it will pass. And then what remains, and his gained from the difficulty, is going to endure forever. I, I wish I could say, here's the formula. Um, yeah. Just do this, this, and this, and then everything's going to feel better right now. But if I knew that formula, I'd use it myself. <laughs>
2: right.
0: But I think if we used it ourselves to magically change everything in the moment, we would lose something far greater down the line. And I think this is what God's interest is. Um, That great promise in Romans 8, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So there's the whole package. The hard things that we're going through are meant to, by God, to help make us more like Christ, and that is more valuable than anything else we could gain on this earth.
2: It's just so scary. Yeah. Especially since I'm, I'm my sole support. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I, obviously, I don't want to lose all that I
0: Yes, of course. All that I have yeah
2: and I don't wanna continue not being able to breathe well.
0: Yes. Well, but you know, I, um I, do you know who Melinda Penner is?
2: I do, and I think of her yeah often and pray for her. Thank you. Her often.
0: Well, she is still yeah. on her back and um, and and immobile and only partially lucid. But uh, when I pray with her, she is filled with joy in the Lord. It's obvious in her prayers because she sees beyond her circumstances to what God is going to do in his doing in her life and the lives of others right now. She's there for a reason, and she accepts that. I know it's hard for her, just like it's hard for you, and it's hard for me and other Christians. But yeah. I don't, I, I uh, Maria, I don't know if that. I'm sorry, Marla. I don't know if that makes you feel better, but maybe it makes you feel a little better about feeling bad.
2: <laughs> it does, and it gives me a place to focus. Yeah. Um, I've just been really distressed, and especially after a doctor's appointment. Yesterday, so I need something to hold on to.
0: Yeah, well, you can always hold on to Christ. You cannot yeah. hold on to the things of this life; they right. all go. And I just turned seventy-two a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, and uh, things are just—they're not getting. I'm not going to get stronger. I'm not going to run faster. I'm not going to play better tennis. I'm not going to get. There's a whole bunch of other things that, man, I've already seen my peak. But yeah. uh, but I can continue to walk with the Lord and trust Him no matter what, because yeah. eventually there will be a reckoning, there will be a payoff, and it'll be to my advantage as I trust in Him. And that's the best thought I can leave with you right now.
2: I appreciate it.
0: All right. God, thank keep you, you. Mar- Marla. Thank you for calling.
2: Thank, thank you.
0: Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. Hard one. Hmm. All right. uh, Just at the end of the segment, end of this hour, let's go to Hawaii. Brett, welcome to the show.
3: Hey there, Greg. That was a tough call you just had.
0: Yeah. I'll say. I'll say. So,
3: that actually leads into, actually in a way, what I wanted to say. I don't have a question for you at this time. Okay. Um, I was actually wanting to Colin, thank you. Um, First of all, for, like, just being there for this lady um, just now and not giving her um, false hope or false answers, just uh, Mm. telling her the truth, even incredibly hard that is to do.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, You know. um, Anyway, so I'm 60, and uh, I was raised atheist, and... Um, Did you say you are raised but, an atheist? Yes. I was oh, an interesting. Atheist, atheist family. Um, and uh, my, my whole life, I looked down on, on religion, on Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the New Age metaphysical movement for 36 years. Oh, wow. And yeah.
0: Well, so that's uh, after you must have, after you, became, you were an atheist and then you moved to New Age because New Age isn't consistent yes. with atheism. Okay, got it.
3: Yes. Exactly. i was raised atheist but then somewhere in there i decided no there there was you know there was there was definitely things um things unseen i've had experiences um that taught me my dad believed that you know if you can't see it to touch it taste it it's yeah. not real right right yeah and so not knowing either i adopted it anyway um so four and a half years ago long story short i picked up the bible for the very first time and started reading it Hmm. and was like, uh, oops, I should have read this a lot sooner. Hmm. but I and uh, it was a huge mental, emotional uh, psychological shift that took a c- couple of years actually to I've spent a lifetime thinking a certain way, being very secular, certain having a certain beliefs and it was, um, uh, even though I, I was I believed it and I liked this guy, Jesus, and I believed this, I had so many questions and so many things didn't make sense. But mm-hmm. which leads me to what I wanted to call on talk, tell you about is that, is people like you and your website. So you and Alan and, um, and of course, Amy. So mm-hmm. you know, I li- listen to all your podcasts. It was discovering by accident. It was discovering, well, by accident, I say by accident. Was discovering uh, apologetics that um, oh, that lit me up, and I started finding the the answers to all these questions that I couldn't quite understand because reading the Bible was very difficult. But um, so I wanted to thank you Hmm. for your work. It's it's I can't begin to tell you how incredible helpful it is. I mean, things like um, six months ago, I found your Hearing God's voice, uh-huh. uh, the articles, and that took an enormous weight off my shoulders. I, I, and when you explained it so carefully, and then I went, I could go back and reread that section. Well, then it was, it was like obvious, <laughs> like <laughs> what what it meant. And so, what I have been finding is that I have learned. More about understanding the Bible, listening to you and others like you Mm than I definitely am learning from my own pastor at the church. So, Mm -hmm. um, your work is amazing. I love the Ambassador Mm. Booklet series, uh, very succinct and content. I wish there were more of those. But um, this call is simply to say, Wow, thank you. Because you don't get to hear that very much. All you hear is people asking questions and (laughs) I want you to know that there are, I want you to know there's a lot of people out here who are listening to everything you do. And
0: it's making an enormous difference. Wow. Well, Brett, that, that's very sweet of you, and I appreciate it. People are generous to me with their thanks, and I do appreciate that. But it's nice to hear it from you, and especially given your journey. And as far as the hearing the voice of God material, people either love it or hate it. Therefore, they either love me for it or they hate me for it. Oh, uh, really? But I'm glad, wow. yeah, because, uh, you know, it is people are very well deeply entrenched in a certain way of thinking about this and it's hard to let that go but anyway I'm very glad to hear it let me ask you quickly almost out of time here less than a minute uh, where in Hawaii do you live?
3: Oh uh, Oahu
0: On Oahu in the Honolulu area? Uh huh. Okay. I go there on occasion and teach. I also, my discipler for a number of years, Craig Englert, uh, is now retired pastor of Hope Chapel, Kihei on Maui. Oh. So, uh, oh, wow. yeah. So he's, uh, that's a gr- great church and, and whatever. I've spent a lot of time in Hawaii over the years. And, uh, uh, I mean, over the last 40 years, my brother lived there for 10 years in, in Maui. And so, um, a lot of friends there. And I'm glad when I get a chance to work there, but I was so glad to hear. That uh, that have had some impact in your life, and stand a reason, and my colleagues, Alan and, and Amy, you mentioned that, and the other team members have made a difference there. That's just that's that's just great. And you've had quite a journey. If we had more time, I'd ask you, I'd ask you about the journey. But uh, from atheist to new Ager to Christian, but we're out of time. Maybe you can call me back. We'll have another chat about that. But thank you so much for the call, Brett. Very sweet words. I appreciate it. All right, friends, that's it for this hour. Greg Kokel here for Stand a Reason. Give him heaven. All right, friends? Bye-bye now.